Job 42. Job chapter 42. We're going to start the Christmas season off with a, uh, a bang, maybe. Uh, and we're going to talk about this question. What will you do when you are broken? Now, I want you to notice that question was not, what do you do if you are broken? What do you do if once in a while you are broken? But what do you do, what will you do when you are broken? It's not a, an if, it's a when. Some of you are in seasons of brokenness now. Some of you have just come out of seasons of brokenness. And unfortunately, some of you are heading into a season of brokenness. And so we all need to address this question what will you do when you are broken? And I think the best place to see that is in the life of Job. This message is something that God has been working out in my heart for some time. Um, longer than probably I would care to share with you that he's been working this message out, pushing me in soft, vulnerable places, getting me prepared and, and getting me uh, uh, revved up enough to be able to get up here and deliver this message. Uh, throughout the series of uh, lies the enemy tells us, lies we tell ourselves, no matter what we did, it seemed like every week when I would deal with some of the subjects I was dealing with, God would in turn deal with me with this message. Didn't have a scripture at that point. It was just, you need to tell people what has happened and where you've been, and it'll be helpful. And then the first of last month, April and I were uh, blessed enough to be able to go to a pastor's wellness retreat put on by the North, Emission, North American Mission Board. They do a great job with those. We heard several messages, and at least a couple of them really kind of made this highlighted. It wouldn't let me get away from this. It was like, okay, you heard that message. When are you going to preach the one that I'm telling you to preach? And then we went to the pastor's conference before the Alabama State Convention a couple weeks ago and heard yet another message. And then it was finally like, all right, all right, God, I get it. I'll do it. Just quit. It's like, leave me alone. I also think that in God's divine providence, April and I were talking about this last night uh, as we were driving back from Kinston. How many of y'all know where Kinston is? Don't lie. Nobody knows where Kinston is. People in Kinston don't know where Kinston is. Uh, we were so far out in the woods, we saw uh, Presbyterians handling snakes. That's how far out in the country we were. But we were driving back, and we were talking about the roads not taken. And I said, you know, remember back when this happened, what if I had done this? Or what if God had moved this way? Or what if this was the decision we made? And obviously, we came to this conclusion every time, because why did, why did that not happen? Why did we do what we did? Because God wanted us to, because God was preparing us. God knew that if we had said yes to that, we wouldn't have been here for this, or we wouldn't have been ready for that. It wouldn't have been time. So all of the things that we go through, all of the problems that we face, all of the issues that we have to overcome, God is helping us prepare. And just like he does in that, he gave me two Sundays out of the pulpit uh, to be prepared to get, um, and I, it's, I don't want to make this too much of a deal, but it really is. I had to get emotionally prepared to stand here and share what I'm going to share today. Uh, I will just remind you, we are very blessed to have such an amazing staff. Uh, all of our staff is amazing, but to have Austin and Grayson be able to come in at their age and do such a fine job of handling scripture uh, in my absence is really a blessing. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all that our staff does. So I want us to look at this passage together today, and I want us to, to break out four specific things that we need to do when we are broken, and I want to give you a key statement in each one of those four points, okay? If you would, stand with me, and we're going to read the first six verses in Job 42. 
Now, we're really going to only talk a lot about four of these verses, but I want to give you the whole context of this reply of Job to the challenge that God has given him in the verses, uh, chapters prior to this, uh, basically correcting Job's uh, misunderstanding of why things have happened the way they have. Then Job replied to the Lord, verse 1, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Uh, by the way, parenthetically, the answer to that question always is you. Me. We conceal the counsel of God with our own ignorance. And then Job says, surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to even know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. And then listen, listen carefully to this. Job says, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I don't want to get ahead of my message, but why had he not seen God before? Because God had not gotten his attention before. He had his eyes on his stuff, his things, his wealth, his prosperity. He lost all of those, and in his, in his bitterness, in his brokenness, he looked and he saw God. Verse 6, this has got to be the response of every one of us. Therefore, I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. Merry Christmas to all the dust and ashes in the building today. Let's pray. Father God, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you open our eyes to see you and know how to respond when brokenness comes calling? And we will give you glory because you alone are worthy of it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So, what do we do? What will you do when you're broken? Number one, seek help from God. Seek help from God. First, before you do anything else, before you think about anything else, before you even try to figure out what has happened to you, look to Him. Remind you of what Job said. I know that you can do anything. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I do not understand, things too wondrous for me to know through the life of Job, we can see that when we are broken, we have to look to God first. I want you to look at chapter 14. You don't have to flip there if you, want, if you don't want to, but you can. Job asks three questions in this chapter out of a spirit of brokenness. I want to give you these, and I think these three questions are very closely related and help us see something. Job 14, verse 4. Who can produce something pure from what is impure? What's the answer to that? Only God. Chapter 14, verse 10. But a person dies and fades away. He breathes his last. Here's the question. Where is he? When he dies, when he lives, he dies, he breathes his last. Where is he? We know the answer to that. If they know Christ, they're in the presence of Jesus. If they don't know Christ, they're separated from God. By the way, just a reminder, God does not send you to hell. You choose hell. God is gracious enough to give you what you ask for. And if you ask for God to get out of your life, he will give you what you ask for. He will allow you to choose hell over choosing eternal life. And then verse 14, when a person dies, will he come back to life? We know the only answer to that is yes, 
He will come back to life. We are temporary vessels, but we are eternal souls. We will live on forever in one of two places, in hell, separated from God in torment, or in heaven, in God's presence, in, in perfect peace. All of these questions point us to the eternal rather than the earthly which is what we often do in distress. This should cause us to seek the Lord. Listen to me. Let's, let's do a poll, and let's be honest. I want you to be honest. Look, pretend you're one of those good horses that have those blinders on, and you can't look around. Nobody looking around. I just want you to answer this question honestly. Don't try to be overly religious. Don't try to, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I've got to raise my hand. No, no, no. Be honest. What is your reflex response to brokenness, pain, suffering. When, when, when your life just goes completely off the rails, you are in the ditch, is it your reflex to look to God immediately? Now, I'm just going to give you a little heads up here. Probably don't need to answer yes to this because I'm going to tell you, if you answer yes to that, you may find yourself in a spirit of brokenness in the very near future, and you may find out you were wrong. And I'm not being ugly to you. I'm not trying to demean you. I, I would be right there with you. Here's why. When we go through something terrible, when something awful happens to us, what our, what our knee-jerk response is, is to look to that thing. If you don't believe me, get a bee sting. You're out working in the yard, you're trimming hedges, you're weed-eating, whatever, and all of a sudden you get stung. What do you do? Ah, ooh, man. You look exactly where that pain is. I'm going to tell you something else. Lord forbid, but if you were to be walking through the woods and you step in a bear trap, what you going to do? Dear Lord, it, apparently I have stepped in some kind of contraption that has me in anguish. No, you're not. You're going to be like, ah! <laughs> And much like bee stings and bear traps, look at me. When hardships come, when challenges come, when sickness comes, when bad diagnoses come, when relationships are broken, when you are at the end of your rope... Your reflex is not to look to him, it's to look to the problem. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Because if he can get you focused on the thing that is tripping you, hurting you, giving you problems, you will not focus on the only thing that can resolve the problem. That's what he wants you to do. That's what your flesh desires to do, is not to look to the eternal, but to think and look at the earthly, the temporal. And we cannot do that. When we do that, we are not looking to where our help comes from. And when I said that, I know some of you thought it started thinking about this verse. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist, obviously in a time of brokenness, says, I lift my eyes towards the mountains where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look to him. Seek God. Seek help from God first. Here's the key statement. God never wastes pain. Neither should we. Number two, allow God to use others. Allow God to use others. We see in the book of Job that he had four friends who tried to help him. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. And they came to help Job in his brokenness, and they were unable to help Sadly, his first three friends only offered help by insisting that his suffering was punishment for sin in his life. Anybody got friends like that? <laughs> Don't raise your hand because they may be here. They may look at you like, I'm just going to tell you, I got friends like that. When I'm going through stuff, it seems like they go, well, what you doing? What you up to? 
You've been looking where you shouldn't look. You've been thinking what you shouldn't think. You've been doing what you shouldn't do. What you doing? That's the knee-jerk reaction. A lot of times is we, we assume that, that pain and problems means that person is living in sin. That person is living in error. Can I just tell you something? Sometimes that's not the case. Bad things happen. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. Don't, don't think this is not a zero-sum game. Nobody gets out of this thing unscathed. The great theologian Hank Williams said, no matter how I struggle and strive, I ain't ever getting out of this world alive. And he was right. You're going to have problems, and sometimes it's not from your doing. Sometimes it's just stuff happens. So Job's three friends come, and this is a reminder that sometimes your friends may not have the answers and we all need friends that are walking with the Lord that can provide real help in times of trouble. I'm going to make two statements about friends. I don't want to be ugly, but I'm just going to make these. Sometimes friends are idiots. I have been that idiot. I'm not being ugly. Sometimes friends are idiots. Sometimes well-meaning idiots. Sometimes well-intentioned idiots. But idiots nonetheless. Y'all do know that 79.6% uh, of all statistics are made up on the spot. Did y'all realize that? Some of y'all. So Job had four friends. Three of them were idiots. Y'all in this row right here, look around. <laughs> look, look, at, look around. Three out of four, I'm just saying. <laughs> y'all figure out who's who over there on your own time. But like, just saying. And then in Job 32 through 37, we see Elihu come in, and he offers a response to Job that does a couple things. It praises the Lord, it condemns the three friends who came to Job in the wrong spirit, but then it confronts Job in the right way to help him see where to turn. Elihu pointed out that Job was not perfect, and can I just tell you, we all need that reminder from time to time. Gentlemen, that's why God gave you a wife, to remind you that you ain't perfect. I know my wife does a great job of that in my life time to time, and I give her multiple opportunities for that. So sometimes we just need that one friend that will pop in and go, hey, man, it ain't about you. You're not the end-all, be-all. The world does not revolve around you. You need to hear that God has a purpose for your life. At the end of the book, we see God rebuke all of Job's friends except Elihu. So here's what I will say about our friends. Sometimes friends are insightful. Sometimes they're idiots. Three out of four, apparently. But sometimes they are insightful. Sometimes they have been walking with the Lord. They have been studying the scriptures. They have been experienced in something that maybe you're going through, and they can bring you wisdom and insight that will help you do what you should have done in the first place. What was that? Seek help from God. If you have good friends, good scripturally-based friends, they can help you do that. I want you to. Pull, I want to see one more thing before we leave this. Job had to forgive his friends of their bad behavior before he could receive the blessing God had in store for him. You ever notice that? I know Gino doesn't miss anything in Scripture, so Gino probably knows. I had missed it. Listen to this, Job 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. Jamie, the, the linchpin for Job receiving the blessings of God for remaining righteous through this trial was what? Forgiveness. Even your idiot friends deserve forgiveness. Even your pastor deserves 
forgiveness. Here's the key statement. God has placed people in your life for a reason. Don't miss that. But don't listen to friends that don't reflect Scripture. I'm being facetious when I say three out of four. I'm just talking about Job in particular. I don't think that was a formula that God is asking us to look at our friends with, going 75% of y'all are idiots. I got 25% of my friends are, are insightful. The other 75% morons. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to be able to listen to your friends and understand if they're giving you scriptural, solid advice or not. Number one, seek help from God. Number two, allow God to use others. Number three, allow God to use professionals. As we see in the life of Job, sometimes our friends just cannot help us. Now, here's the place that I have been dreading in this scripture, in this sermon, for years. That's <laughs> why so I hadn't already preached it. All this other stuff, I'd have shucked the corn two years ago. But this is where I really was arguing with God and kind of had taken a stand with God and told him I wasn't going to do it. And guess what? Point number three. <laughs> so here's my story. About six years ago, uh, I was just in a dark place. And I don't, I don't know exactly why. I can't pinpoint it. Um, to this day, I really can't look back and, and figure out what was making me so sad. Uh, I was working on my master's degree. The college ministry was booming, so we were very busy. Uh, we were still dealing with kind of the financial fallout for it taking a year to sell our house in Dothan when we moved here. Uh, we had just bought a new house, and we are trying to get everything situated there. And uh, there was a very uh, weighty um, interpersonal conflict that I was dealing with at the time that was bringing a lot of stress. But, but even with all that said, I can't go back to you and say I had it worse then than ever before in my life and I was just at the, at a pitiful fool at the end of his rope. I, I don't know. But what I know is that I was sitting at my desk one day and I was just another work day, just another you know kind of routine, mundane, doing the stuff I got to do, uh, working through some things. And, and all of a sudden, I just kind of felt this heaviness. I felt this darkness. I felt this uh, sadness, this sorrow. And I can't, again, still, I sound ridiculous, but I can't explain it. But I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, all right, just, all right, all right, push through. Just get that out of your mind. Just push through. And all of a sudden, I thought, if I keep sitting here, I'm going to start to weep. I, I, if I keep sitting here, I'm going to start sobbing uncontrollably. And so I got up from my desk, and I grabbed my phone and slid it in my pocket. And I started walking down the hallway. And the whole way I'm walking, I'm praying, dear God, please don't let anybody be in the hallways of Westmobile Baptist Church right now. I, look, look, look at me. I was escaping. And I don't know what I was escaping. I don't know where I was going. I was just fleeing. And I walked down the hallway, and I came down the stairs, and I walked through. The, the worship center was dark. I came through, and I went back here to the back, and I got where I felt like was the most secure, secluded place in the building. And I sat down, and I almost just broke. Still couldn't figure out. And so I, I pulled my phone out, and I, I was like, who do, who do I call? You don't tell your boss that. Your boss will have you committed. <laughs> You don't tell the elders, the deacons. You just, like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in panic mode and I don't know why. So I called Dr. Wright. I called that, the other Dr. Wright. I called Thomas. He's our DOM, our director of missions, and, and, and I had a good relationship with him. And so I reached out and I just told him, I said, hey, I, I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm really struggling. And I didn't go into a lot of detail. I just, I just told him, I need some help. What do I do? 
and he encouraged me to, to go to Pathways Christian Counseling over at Alabama Children's Homes. He said, those people at Pathway will treat you right. They'll be careful. They're godly. Maybe you should just go talk to them. Now, can I be honest with you? I mean, I'm always honest with you. I don't want to say that. Can I be more honest with you? I don't want to do that. I want him to tell me to suck it up, buttercup. I want him to tell me, hey, man, you, you, you're a follower of Jesus. You can't be miserable and broken and sad and sorrowful, especially for no reason, man. Get your head screwed on right and get back to work. But I was so desperate that I, I reached out. I called the number, set up an appointment. I won't tell you his name because he may not want to know that he had a part in anywhere. <laughs> he, may, he may look at that. That's not my best work, man. Don't be advertising about me up there. Went over and I met with him, I don't even remember, five or six times over the next few weeks. And by the way, every time I went over there, I would pray the whole way over there, dear God, please don't let there be a deacon, an elder, a, you know, a church member. Don't let anybody see me. I'm going to have to lie to them if they see me here. What are you doing? Oh, I was, I was just coming to check on children family homes just see if I could volunteer. So I get over there and I sit down and I meet with him. I, I can't tell you that he did anything like supernatural. I can't tell you that he, he told me things about myself I didn't know and, you know, he didn't reveal some dark thing that had happened to me that I'd blotted out in my pack. We just had conversations, and he asked me questions, and I shared, and, and based on what I shared, he kind of asked some other questions, and, and, and we met a few times, and then the last time I'm like, hey, man, I, I think I'm good. And he said, okay, well, if you ever need to come back, just let me know. But he said, I, I mean, I feel like you're, you're in a good place. I wish I could tell you that he showed me what was wrong. I wish I could tell you that he helped me learn things about myself that I didn't know and, and will help me be stronger in the future. I don't know. Here's what I can tell you without a shout, without a shadow of a doubt. He helped me. Meeting with him, talking to him was a huge help. Here's the key statement. God has gifted certain people to provide better help during times of struggle. Don't allow social stigmas to keep you from their help. Again, if you were stung by a bee and you were uh, allergic, you would not stay home from the ER because you didn't want people to think that you were injured. If you did, Lord forbid, step in that bear trap, you wouldn't just, well, I guess I'll walk around with a bear trap the rest of my life. No, you would seek help. You would go to a professional. If you break your arm, you go to the emergency room. You go to the doctor. If you get a sinus infection, if you get the flu, you go to a doctor. If you have something going on with your mental and emotional well-being, go to a professional. After you seek God, after you consult friends, if you still can't get answers, seek professional help. Number four, and this is probably as important as anything, recognize God's position and yours. Look at verses 5 and 6 in that passage. He says, I'd heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words, and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. If you go back to the uh, Septuagint, uh, this is how that reads, word for word from the Septuagint. I despise myself and melt. I consider myself dust and ashes. Sometimes we can't recognize God's position or our own until we are at the end of ourselves, physically, mentally, emotionally. 
And, and sometimes we ask God for help, but we are terrible listeners. Can I give you just, this is free. If you ask God for help and then you start trying to explain to God what you need to be helped, you're one of those idiot friends. You may not be hearing from God because you're too busy trying to explain to God what he needs to do. I want everybody to get this this morning. Everybody look at me. I'm going to use Florella ease. God don't work for you. God ain't coming to your house punching a clock and sitting there to get dictated to what he should do with his day for your needs. You serve at the pleasure and the discretion of the God of the universe. Seek him and obey him. When you say, God, help me, and he tries to help you, don't tell him, but I ain't doing that. Well, you ain't getting no help. God will not bend himself to do for you what you refuse to do for him. We have to learn our place. Sometimes our friends, sometimes even professionals can't give us what we need to get things figured out. Sometimes it takes God breaking us down almost to a molecular point so that we can grow. Uh, how many veterans we got? How many people have been to boot camp? Now, some of y'all are older than me. Your boot camp might have been different than my boot camp. I feel fairly confident my boot camp was different than today's boot camp. But here's what I will tell you. Regardless of the time and era, boot camp is designed to do the same thing. Break you down to build you up. And it works. It is effective. When I went to boot camp, I was a different person than when I left boot camp. Confidence, uh, uh, just focus and and. and I wasn't military, and then I was military. I mean, my goodness, people ask me why I'm OCD. And when I was in the Navy, they made us iron our underwear. That'll do stuff to you. <laughs> they just make you weird. And I was probably weird anyway. I was probably weird when they started. They just made me more weird. But that's exactly what pain and hardship does in the life of a believer. When you go through stuff, it breaks you down. And then if you will turn your eyes upon Jesus... Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you look to him when you are broken down, he will build you up and you will be better than you were before. The problem is we don't want to be better. We want to be left alone. Most of us, if we're being honest, are not willing to go through what it takes to go through to get to where we want to be. I'm I wasn't going to share that. I'm tired of being fat. I'm tired of being fat. I don't like it. I, I'm looking. I'm like, I, I, I told uh, somebody the other day, Allie, I said, I'm going to start standing in those pictures like pregnant women do. You know, I'm just going to start holding. Listen, if it's going to be there, let's go ahead and just put a frame around it. We're just going to hold it. I'm tired of it. You know why I'm still the way I am? Because I'm not willing to do what it takes to get to where I was. Uh, Ten years ago, I was 183 pounds. Uh, you know why I was 183 pounds? Because I quit eating a bunch of junk and I started exercising all the time. I, I'm working on it now. I'm starting to add some exercise in. I'm watching what I eat. I'm trying to get healthier. Why? Because I'm tired of being what I was. I want to be something better, but I can't take a pill that's just going to make me better. 
I, I can't watch a video. This is going to make me thinner and, and, and more uh, healthy and breathe better and, and be able to run and all that stuff. I've got to go through the hurt to get to where I want to be. Our problem is most of the time spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, we don't want to go through the stuff we got to go through to get to where God wants us to be. We just want him to poof and make it happen. And he does not work like that. He never has. He never will. Look at Job. He didn't say, all right, Job, I'm taking all your stuff away, but I'm going to give all this stuff tenfold right back to you. Job had no idea what was going to happen when he went through all of what he went through, but he trusted God as he went through it. Always, when we really catch who God is, when we really see him and all his majesty in relationship to how infinitesimally small we are, how infinitesimally small our problems are, look at me, we find hope. But you got to look. That's what happened in the life of Job. Oswald Chambers said, God does not tell us what he's going to do. He reveals to us who he is. I'm going to give you that again because that's good right there. I didn't hear an amen or two. Y'all didn't hear that. Oswald Chambers. God does not tell us what he's going to do. He reveals to us who he is. And listen to me. I believe he does that most and most often through hardships. Job had everything. He had everything. He had a big family, a wife, a, a big business, thriving business. It was healthy. He was so awesome that when Satan walked around saying, I'm trying to find somebody to mess with, God said, have you looked at Job? And then he had all of it taken away in an instant. And all he was left with was his wife. And sorry, ladies, but she wasn't a lot of help. She, here's his wife's advice. Curse God and die. Baby, please don't ever tell me that if I tell you... If I come home and say, baby, I had a hard day at work today, we'll curse God and die. How about you just give me a donut and we talk about it later? <laughs> then he had his friends and three-fourths of them were no help. But here's who he did have. He had his heavenly father. Listen to Job 19, 25 through 27. This is beautiful. Job said, I, let me remind you, this is before he got all his stuff back. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end, he will stand on the dust. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. Seek help from God first. Recognize who God is and who you are. Here's the key statement. Only when you see things in light of the glory and majesty of God can you recognize the insignificance of temporal problems. You know why things up close look big? Because you're up close. Your problems look a whole lot bigger if you keep staring at them. If you'll look to God, I promise you those problems will shrink. Four steps, four things to do. Number one, seek help from God. Number two, allow God to use others. Number three, allow God to use professionals. And number four, recognize God's position and yours. Can I just kind of a, a moment of clarity when I was doing this? It, it's, uh, it's comical, to be honest. It's comical to look back at how I felt in 2016 and think about all I've gone through in the last three years. And I'm not, this is not a poor pitiful me. This is just our family's had a lot of stuff. We've dealt with a lot of stuff the last three years. Been a lot of pressures, a lot of, a lot of blessings, a lot of awesome things, but a lot of struggle. 
And I look back at 2016, I'm like, man, I would give anything to have the same number of problems now as I had in 2016. I don't know why that was such a dark time. C.S. Lewis says this, pain insists upon being attended to. Amen? God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Amen? I felt broken at times over the last three years, but never to the point I was where I called Dr. Wright and, and basically just said, I need some help. I find it odd until I realize that God was using that time in 2016 to prepare, for me, for, prepare me for what I would be going through in 2021-22, which is what Job learned during his time of suffering as well. I guarantee you, we don't see a lot from Job. We don't see anything from Job after his book is over, but I promise you, the days that Job faced in the future were not without problem, but he was confident if God can see me through that, he can see me through the next. FDR said, uh, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. The secret to the success of Job and the righteous character of Job is found early on in the book. Look at Job 1.21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in the midst of brokenness and sorrow and disappointment, Job got it. He understood that all this stuff is just that. It's stuff. It's temporal. It's going away. God is forever. He's constant. And then the last book, I mean the last verse of this great book holds a key for us to understand how to deal with times of struggling just like Job did. Job 42, 17, the last sentence in the book. Then Job died old and full of days. Can I tell you this morning, some of y'all are really young, some of y'all are a little older. We don't know how close any of us are to the end, but if they were writing a book about your life, at some point, they're going to write a sentence similar to this. Then, fill in the blank, died. And you may not be old, but you will be full of days. Why? Because God orders your steps. God has laid out your life. He has calendared your entire existence. He has scheduled a day, an appointment on his calendar that you can't see when you are going to meet him. And nothing th can change that. Remember, go back to the beginning of the chapter. Your plans cannot be thwarted. Nothing you do can be thwarted. He has planned it. He has laid it out. He has scheduled it. You don't know when it is, but he does. And you will stand before the holy God. And at that point, nothing else will matter in your life. Nothing that you suffered, nothing that you achieved, nothing will matter in your life except for two things. Number one, did you surrender to the lordship of Christ? And number two, did you serve him joyfully every day thereafter until your appointment with him was kept? You and I will face brokenness. The question is, what will you do when you're broken? That was the, the title. That's the question that we asked at the front end. And that question requires an answer. From every one of you, it requires an answer. Listen, not to me. We're not going to stop the service and everybody line up and walk up and give me your answer. 
you don't require that answer to me, but you require that answer to the God, to the God of the universe. The Holy Spirit of God is going to require that you have that answer. And let me, let me just tell you this too. If you wait until you are in the moment of brokenness to try to, to come up with an answer to that question, you are ruined. You are shot. You are done. None of us do our best thinking in that moment. Here's what you need to do. Today, no matter what your circumstance or situation, today, you need to start thinking about and processing, what will I do when I am broken? Will I seek help from God first? Will I get, questions, get, get friends to help me? Will I seek professional help if necessary? Will I understand and see God for who he is and me for who I am? Will I have a good uh, eternal perspective? Will I look to the eternal or will I focus on the problem and the, the temporal? Your answer is required. We'll close with this. Corey Tim Boom. I was talking to somebody in between services, and we were talking about all the different Corey Ten Boom quotes. And she said, I thought you were going to use this other one. I was like, that had been a good one. But I'm going to use this one. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit and trust the engineer. What are you going to do? What are you, now listen, when I say what are you going to do, I'm not talking about the group of you make a group decision. I'm talking to each person in here individually. What are you going to do when you are broken? Are you going to throw away your ticket and jump off the train? Are you going to do what the psalmist said when he said, be still and know that I am God? Are you going to jump up and throw your ticket away and try to get off the train? Or are you going to sit and trust the engineer? Would you stand with me? I think I say this every week, and, and I'll keep saying it every week because I want to make sure that everybody hears it. Every time I take the Word of God and I preach a sermon from it, you're going to have an opportunity to respond in obedience to whatever God is prompting you to do. If you don't know Christ today, what you're going to do when you're broken is you're going to crumble without Christ. So if you don't know Christ today, you want to come and profess faith in Jesus, you can do that today. If you're here, you've made a profession of faith, but you're not walking with the Lord. You are not close to the Lord. You're not near to the Father right now because of sin in your life. When brokenness comes, it will crush you. If you need to rededicate your life to Christ, you can do that today. If you need to join the church, move your letter, all that stuff is always on the table every time we have an invitation. But specifically and intentionally today, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just really allow the Holy Spirit to, to help you process that question, what will you do when you're broken? Will you start right now in this moment, in this time of invitation, as the worship team leads us in another worship song, will you ask God to show you how to shore up your faith, how to prepare yourself for the inevitable problems that lie ahead so that when trouble comes, when brokenness attaches itself to you, you will be able to do like Job and you'll be able to look to God 
You'll be able to do like the psalmist and look to the hills from whence comes your help. You will be able to survive because it's not you in the world that's going to survive. It's the Christ in you. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Would you just be responsive and obedient to the Holy Spirit today? I'm going to pray. When I say amen, if you need to come pray with me, come right away. If you don't come right away, you don't feel comfortable, I'm going to go over there with my lovely wife while they lead us in another song. Don't don't hesitate. Come interrupt. Come grab me if you need somebody to pray with you. If God is doing something in your life, you need somebody to talk to, come get me. But if you need to come to Christ, rededicate your life, whatever it is, when I say amen, you move. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. The same hope that sustained and restored Job is our hope. God, be glorified today in this place. Move in this place with authority, Holy Spirit. Let us be submissive to your will, King Jesus. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.